Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. The Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. I'm Rita Cosby. As the war sadly rages on in Ukraine, President Biden is meeting with NATO members overseas. And he talked about the importance of NATO, the unity of NATO, and also for supporting Ukraine in its fight against Russia. But also, he highlighted climate change in a big way. Well, joining us now to discuss this and so much more is Victoria Coates. She's the former Deputy National Security Advisor to then-President Trump, and she is a senior fellow in the Thatcher Center at the Heritage Foundation. Victoria, so great to have you here. Thank you for inviting me, Rita. You know, so many topics to talk about. Um, First, let's get to um, what I brought up. President Biden, there he is in Lithuania and talking, of course, about very serious topic about the war uh, raging against Ukraine, um, all the horrible things that have been happening there and the difficulties. And then he switches very quickly to climate change um, and almost gives it, in many ways, more importance. Your reaction? Well, first and foremost, climate change is not a NATO issue. Uh, you know, the administration is fond of saying climate change is a global issue. That may be the case, but for NATO, the issues should be the transatlantic alliance. And for the president to suddenly suggest that this military alliance that came out of World War II should be focused on climate change is just delusional. Obviously, NATO should be first and foremost focused on Ukraine, that all the NATO members are doing everything they can to support Ukraine. I mean, this is the whole purpose of NATO is to deter Russian aggression. So that's where the president's remarks should be focused. If he brought up a secondary topic, it should be China, but he didn't. And instead, just sort of rambled on and on. And it was a very embarrassing performance that we saw from him uh, recently, both out of the United Kingdom and out of out of Vilnius. And I think you know all Americans should be very, very concerned about what we're seeing from our president, our, our commander in chief, rather. And, you know, Victoria, I'll read you a line that he said, uh, the greatest threat to humanity is climate change. I mean, to say that, especially while he's over there meeting with NATO. No, it, it, it makes no sense. And and this has been such a problem for the administration from the get-go, is they have made this, uh, this amorphous concept of climate change. And I was reading today about how if climate change is happening, it may be happening because of increased activity on the sun, which we cannot control. Uh, so he is making this a national security driver. They actually put out a policy about this a couple of years ago, that this is going to focus all of their national security efforts. And the problem with that, Rita, is then you'll have a situation like Secretary Yellen, the Secretary of the Treasury, going over to Beijing, said that we have a moral obligation 
to work with the communist Chinese on issues like climate. This is just backwards. I mean, the China doesn't care about climate. They are increasing their emissions every year based on their usage of coal, uh, based on the very dirty way they produce all of the so-called green materials we have an insatiable appetite for being solar panels or electric vehicle batteries or wind turbines. They're not going to work with us. They're not going to help this administration get to their climate goals. But yet the administration seems determined to make climate the only issue that matters to them, not the security of Ukraine, not the security of the United States against China. What do you make of their obsession with climate change? And as as you're aptly pointing out, not just there in Vilnius, Lithuania, but also when Yellen was over there in China, it seems like at very inappropriate times and also to inappropriate audiences. You know, it's it's almost an article of faith for them that that climate is this overriding issue that should bring the globe together. And the problem is there are many parts of the globe that don't feel that way. It's Russia. It's China. It's all being the world's largest, uh, I believe, the world's two largest uh, polluters are simply not on board with this agenda. And they are watching the United States basically abdicate our enormous strengths in energy in order to comply with these arbitrary goals the administration sets, like net zero by 2050 or whatever is in the Paris Climate Change Accords. So they are, they are watching us give up a massive advantage that they, they then can swoop in on and, and make us weaker and more dependent on them. It's, it's, it's just bizarre. And I don't understand why conservatives aren't better at standing up and saying, we have reduced emissions more than any major economy over the last 10 years, largely through the conversion to natural gas. We should be celebrated for that, not punished. How do you think President Biden did overall on his trip overseas? A lot of people felt um, that he looked lost uh, at certain points. Um, he was being led around by King Charles at the beginning of the trip and then pointed out elsewhere where to walk and where to go. He also missed the big world leaders dinner uh, that was taking place uh, right before his the night before his big speech. And it wasn't the first time that he's done it. Um, do you think he showed a an impression of authority? No, it, it it was, I think, very sad for all Americans to see their commander in chief put on this display on the world stage. The incident with, with King Charles was particularly embarrassing in that the president clearly needed guidance and put his hand on the king's back. But I mean, the first thing you're told in any protocol situation is you don't touch a royal unless they touch you. And I know we're Americans and we obviously have had our history with, with the royal family, but still, you don't go to London and, and meet with the king and do something so far outside of just basic protocol. And I think the reason the president did it is he needed guidance. And so that was a very weak moment. The missing dinner is an embarrassment. You know, this is where a lot of the real business gets done, which I remember very clearly uh, from from President Trump's experience. I mean, these were the engagements that he really relished, the, the opportunities to build relationships with heads of state, you know, have more casual conversations that aren't under the microscope or the, the media lights. And so if Joe Biden isn't capable of going to a dinner on a four-day trip, 
it really it really has to raise some concerns about the his just general ability to do to do this job. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How important are those dinners, too? You just talked about how President Trump relished that because so much of business and especially world affairs is the relationships that leaders have amongst each other. Um, And that's where you build those relationships at those dinners, at those moments. Those are really key. And to miss that um, is a big misstep. Oh, 100 percent. And a little known kind of real strength of President Trump was his ability to create personal relationships with foreign heads of state, you know, whether they were people he would personally want to be friends with or not. He could just build a rapport with people. It's it's what he does. And then, you know, you learn what that person's red lines are, what their important topics are, and, you know, and you can talk about anyone from Emmanuel Macron to President Sisi of Egypt, to President Erdogan of Turkey, even to Chairman Xi of China is somebody that Trump felt perfectly comfortable talking to and telling them, you know, this is what I'm willing to do. This is what I'm not willing to do. But at a dinner like this, I mean, that's what the event is structured to do, is to allow these senior folks to create these kinds of relationships. So if times get tough, you have you have a kind of rapport, you have a, you have a relationship to fall back on. And that's what President Biden is apparently capable of doing, again, on a four-day trip. It's not like this is a two-week trip through 14 nations. You know, one of the other uh, missteps that a lot of people are talking about is before he actually left on the overseas trip, he did an interview. And in it, he talked about why he is supporting sending cluster bombs to Ukraine. And he said, you know, part of the reason is Ukraine is running out of munitions, but we, U.S., by the way, are also running out of munitions. Um, What was your reaction? A lot of people said, whoa, uh, a president shouldn't be talking about if there's a depletion of U.S. military. That's sort of a security issue. No, that first and foremost is a huge problem. And he should not be talking out of school on those issues. And I think, however, Obviously, the enormous amount of material that we've poured into Ukraine over the last 15 months has been a strain on the United States. And it's interesting to sort of delve into the cluster bomb issue. You know, the Heritage Foundation came out in 2011 with a statement against then Obama era policy against these munitions saying until everybody renounces them, we can't renounce them because they are enormously effective. There is a problem uh, that because you have a cluster of bombs pulled together, not all of them may detonate when they uh, when they land. And so you can have a risk to civilians. And I think that's very real. However, if Russia is dropping these things with indiscriminately across Ukraine, you know, that can't be our concern. They've already created that humanitarian risk, which they've been doing from the beginning of this war. And because we have so many of these things stockpiled, this is what we should have sent a year ago. Yeah. Are you know, we missing maybe, the mark by this, by these delayed responses, whether it's that or, or other weaponry to Ukraine? Well, and I mean, 
I'm from Lancaster County in Pennsylvania. We sometimes hunt out there. And we've got a phrase, which is you're shooting behind the duck, which means if you actually want to hit the duck, if it's taking off, you want to shoot in front of the duck. And then you're likely to make your mark. We're shooting behind the duck repeatedly in the Ukraine engagement. We're sending things late. We're not being strategic about it. And so we're basically dribbling out U.S. taxpayer dollars and with no win. And I think that's what's losing the confidence of the American people. I believe we should have sent um, F-16s, um, do you think, a lot more, obviously, to that point. And, and you're, you know, you talked about uh, the expression in Pennsylvania. Um, as you know, my father was a prisoner of war and my father was mm-hmm. rescued by American troops and, and he's Polish. Uh, so, you know, they understand the price of war. But people say, OK, if you're going to go to fight, don't have someone fight with one hand tied behind their back either. Either go in or don't go in. Exactly. So if the commander in chief is going to make the decision, which is his and his alone, to engage on this Ukraine conflict this way, I think he owes it to to the American people to do so in a way that the engagement can be won. Obviously, we're not party to this war in Ukraine, although the president went pretty far this morning before his meeting with President Zelensky about welcoming Ukraine into NATO. That's another issue. Uh, We're not party to this war, but we're on the hook for hundreds of billions of dollars at this point. So if you're going to put the American taxpayer in that position and you have made the decision as commander in chief to do that, you you can't just create another endless 20-year war. You you need to be able to, to win it. So from the beginning, this has been the issue that we've had at Heritage is, is where is the strategy? Tell me, you know, tell me how we're going to win. And there's no response. Yeah. And it doesn't seem they have the idea of win in sight. It's sort of this drip, drip, drip. Um, there's the expression. I saw a couple of folks commenting after President Biden's speech in Vilnius, Lithuania, basically saying that the U.S. seems to have a strategy, basically, so the uh, Ukrainians will not lose, but not necessarily that they'll win. That's not a strategy for success. No, and it's it's no reason to commit the United States to this kind of conflict in perpetuity. So, you know, I think we have to, as you know, as Americans through the Congress, demand that the president give us some sort of strategy. And I've, I've heard rumors, the wrong word, it has been floated in Washington that Senator Schumer is going to attach the next supplemental they're going to have, have to ask for for Ukraine to the emergency management, the FEMA legislation that will come up in coming weeks, which is must-pass legislation because we're going into hurricane season. This is outrageous. I mean, All Americans need to stand up about this and say you cannot hold relief to American citizens because of a natural disaster hostage to your desire to keep funding this war in Ukraine. You have to come to us with a standalone Ukraine request, you know, a single piece of legislation so that the Congress can debate it. You can make your case. And if it is persuasive, the American people will call their duly elected representatives and want that legislation to be supportive. But if you attach it to FEMA, you're basically telling people either you pass this or you're not going to get hurricane relief in August. It's outrageous. What do you think Congress will do? Uh, Because, of course, uh, the Republicans at least control the House. Well, that I mean, this is actually actually, I mean, we've got lots of fireworks going on here in D.C. this week uh, over the NDAA. But I actually think this is the key fight 
for Speaker McCarthy is, will he refuse to bring this to the floor uh, in, in its current state? Will he insist on a standalone for Ukraine? I think that is so critically important going forward. What's the timetable of that, that that could come forward? There is now talk that they will stay in session, that they're going to keep working all the way through the first week of August. Amazing. Uh that it, it could be in that time frame, end of July, beginning of August. Wow, uh, that is certainly something uh, to look toward. Now, let's also talk about the war. Um, where do you see things headed? Um, you know, Ukraine said, okay, they're going to start their offensive. They made some headway in the offensive, but a lot of people felt it was not enough. On the flip side, Russia had uh, what some describe, obviously, it was a very short-lived uh, mutiny attempt, if you will, or by the mercenary group, the Wagner Group. Where do you see sort of the dynamics with both? No, it's very interesting. And, and clearly, not everything in Russia is going swimmingly. And if there is friction between Putin and Prigozhin, and who's the head of the Wagner Group, or Putin and Shoigoi, who's the head of the military ministry. Either way, that's bad for Putin. So now is the moment for Ukraine really to press against Russia to make them more uncomfortable. At this point, though, it's it's too late for the West to do much. I mean, if we were going to send stuff, we would have had to have done it two or three months ago to have it arriving in the battlefield now. So hopefully Ukraine has what it needs to actually make the advances they want to so they could enter into any kind of negotiation from a position of strength, because really what we want to achieve is a Ukraine that is not vulnerable to this kind of attack in another couple of years, because if Putin thinks he can get out of this one, he'll just go and regroup and then come back the way he did after the seizure of Crimea. And we'll just be stuck in this loop you know, for another 10 years. So I think you know, hopefully Ukraine is is now in a position to really press their advantage. But I don't I don't know that they're getting the requisite guidance out of Washington on that. Yeah. And now what about the messages on NATO membership for Ukraine? Um, you brought up uh, Biden's messages. There seems to be like sort of all over the place. Where do you stand on that? Where also many people believe that Ukraine shouldn't obviously be part of NATO, especially while they're at war, because then it would trigger Article 5 and the U.S. really would get pulled in. It's The whole thing has been mismanaged because there's a reason Ukraine wasn't on a fast track for NATO membership before this. This was something Putin basically made up. Oh, my gosh, you know, Ukraine's going to NATO. I have to invade. It wasn't even remotely happening because Ukraine doesn't meet most of the benchmarks in terms of anti-corruption, democracy. There are a whole host of things that they would need to do to achieve NATO membership. And I have no objection to their applying and to working on that process. But it's also a fact, as you say, no nation has been admitted into NATO when they're in its state of war, because the way Article 5 is phrased, it does not require military action in response to an attack on a member. But it does say an attack on one member is an attack on all members. So you would then be saying that all current 31, soon to be 32 members when Sweden becomes a member, are at war with Russia the day you do this. And I don't think it would be just the United States that would have some very serious reservations about entering into that kind of obligation. And again, the the people of the United States need to be consulted before that kind of obligation is taken on. And, And so any kind of 
track for Ukraine like that would have to go through the Congress, the way both Finland and now soon to be Sweden have gone to congressional vote. And, you know, Congress had the opportunity to weigh in and say whether or not they accepted these memberships. In those cases, yes, they did. It's very hard for me to see that passing in terms of Ukraine. Yeah, and it is so complicated, just as you said. Um, Obviously, uh, the people in Ukraine certainly want as much protection as they can get. Uh, Certainly, NATO would be an amazing form of protection, but uh, that is a whole other level for America and for the world. Um, Real real quickly, your thoughts sort of where just things are headed overall um, with NATO and also its role with Ukraine. You talked about obviously what's going to happen, it sounds like, with Schumer and maybe where the standoff will be with McCarthy. Um, What do you think the next few weeks and next few months are going to look like? Well, a lot depends on what happens domestically with with Russia. If if Prigozhin, if the head of Wagner is suddenly, uh, you know, welcomed back in some way as a close confidant of Putin, this is going to tell us a lot about what's going on in Russia. And so I would be keeping a very close eye on how I think we've only seen the introduction of this Russian novel. We haven't gone all the way through war and peace here. So we're going to have a lot of things play out over the next couple of weeks. I also would be looking very closely at France and Germany, you know, how much they are actually willing to commit in the wake of the Vilnius summit to NATO and to Ukraine, because right now the United States is contributing more than all of the other nations put together. And that's just intolerable. And so I think there have to be a lot of questions about that. And then there's the success of the Ukrainians, because as you well know, nothing succeeds like success. So if the Ukrainians can make some uh, fairly dramatic advances against the Russians, I think you'll you'll have a lot of, of support for them to wrap this thing up, to get to the point where we can come to a resolution for the war, which is in the best interests of everyone. Yeah, certainly everybody is praying for peace and praying so much, especially for uh, what Ukraine has been doing and their fight um, has really been extraordinary, but uh, all the world is watching. Thank you very, very much, Victoria Coates. Uh, And by the way, everybody, be sure to subscribe and share this really powerful podcast. And Victoria Coates, thank you so much for all you do to keep us and also keep the world safe. You're terrific. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America.